Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are recording in efforts of hoping, you know, just hopefully avoiding everything else going on in the world for a moment. We're recording on Tuesday, November 3rd. Nothing else going on Tuesday night, so... And I will uh, say we're doing you know. this because we're fucking stupid. Let's, like... <laughs> How am I going to get through this show? I don't fucking know, but we're going to see. We'll see oh, just how distracted Justin and Nathan are on what is uh, what the rest of the world wants us to think is the most important day of our lives. Hey, can I tell you something? Can I tell you? Yes, please. Like normally, this is like this is normally like top of the peak Nathan hate week. And A, I'm not going to the game this year, so that sort of changed things for me. And B, someone on our podcast on our Discord was like, if you could choose like a Biden win in Florida tonight or UGA winning by 35 points, what would you choose? And like, mm-hmm. all I can think about is like, if you tell me Biden wins in Florida, I don't mind if, if Florida beats us by like 222 to nothing. I don't care. I don't <laughs> mind if it's Cumberland versus Georgia tech. I don't care. Like put up 70 Florida. That's fine. I've, I've, I've dealt with worse. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, I, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, before we do get into the the you know real nitty and gritty of uh of of hate week, we're gonna get through some mentions over the weekend since you know we don't really do a, pre- a review show anymore. So let's talk about some weekend wrap ups, just things, honorable mentions, dishonorable mentions, outside and in between the hedges. So uh, I wanted to start with outside the hedges real quick. An honorable mention goes to the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. The Chant. Did you? Yeah, baby. The Chants, baby. So this is now a Coastal Carolina podcast for the next three minutes. They um, have, can I just, can we just start by saying like some of the best colors in college football? They really do. Thank you. I wanted I, to say the same thing. I just adore it. I just adore it. I really it. like them. They absolutely destroyed Georgia State, which is not saying much, but they beat them 51 to zero, which is saying something. Uh, yeah. But I started, I became, I became a Coastal Carolina Chanticleers fan when yeah. I watched them play the Raging Cajuns earlier this year. Yep. Uh, they're just a fun team to watch. I also, the, 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 the Cajuns were also a team that I really enjoyed watching. Uh, but that has been decidedly, uh, that has changed for me since watching them, uh, play against the Chanticleers. But can I, one thing I did want to tell you real quick that I did think was really interesting and you might enjoy being, uh, an English, uh, person, <laughs> an English, uh, lover, English literature lover. What am I trying to say here? Someone who really enjoys English, English language and waxing English poetic yeah, is what, yeah, what okay. I'm going for here. A so, wordsmith. A wordsmith, if you may. The the wordsmith of our generation, Nathan J. Lawrence. Uh, Ooh, so, that's not... <laughs> no. Put that on a resume and sell it. No, don't so, say that. The Chanticleer, is, they are, so the Chanticleer itself is like a rooster. It's kind of like the, um, like the Jedi... To like the Jedi equivalent to the the Gamecock Sith is kind of what it is, and, and actually how it became um, a thing in the first place. But it's uh, Chaucer, clear right? it, It's actually from Chaucer. Yeah, it's from the Canterbury Tales in the 1960s. An English professor said, uh, "I don't know what what if we changed it, you know? Because originally I think they were the Trojans or the Spartans or something that was you know dumb, uh, mm-hmm. very dumb, very dumb, super dumb. No, just kidding. Uh, but." It's uh, he was like, what if we did this one thing? And there's like a really beautiful verse from um, the Canterbury Tales. I think it's in the Nun's Tale specifically um, uh-huh. that talks about the Chanticleer being very proud and like strutting around the the yard and being beautiful gold and lily. Um, and also the blue is in there as well, like that tealish blue. Uh, it's mm-hmm. azure, uh, but 
that's why they are those colors, which I thought was really great. And so they were just a two-year like pipeline school that fed into uh, University of South Carolina up until like the 90s. And so really? they wanted, yeah, they wanted a mascot that looked similar to the Gamecock, but not huh. so similar that they were mistaken for one another was the well, idea. Well, see, you got me there. I had no idea on that. That's wild. Yeah. It's pretty neat. And so now, you know, they have become their own thing. Uh, and there they are, the Chanticleers. They play South Alabama on Saturday night at 8 p.m. So you got nothing else going on since Georgia will be done by then. So why don't you give it a watch? They're a lot of fun. Honorable yeah, mention between really... the hedges. Oh, you don't want me to talk about the Chanticleer and the Canterbury Tales for like 20 minutes? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> you can. <laughs> no, it's just cool because the shot, the Chanticleer is very much like a, a Tybalt, um, like, like stereotypical, uh, like Prince of Cats style character. You know, so I don't know. That's cool. It's like the, he's a very sneaky guy, and he has a bunch of wives, and like the Chanticleer mm-hmm. is like it's the the nun's tale, I think, and and like he's an actual rooster, and he has a bunch of hen wives, and so it's like coastal Carolina pro polyamory is all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> You, but you didn't know that about Coastal Carolina. I did actually have like a really like a few lines from the story that I was going to read to you. I can read them. Oh, hit, hit me, to. hit me, please okay. do. <clears throat> so this is the what it all comes from. This was actually pulled from the Coastal Carolina what is a Chanticleer um, page on the site. So this comes straight from the Canterbury Tales. For crowing, there was not his equal in all the land. His voice was merrier than the merry organ that plays in church, and his crowning from his resting place was more trustworthy than a clock. His comb was redder than fine coral and turreted like a castle wall. His bill was black and shone like a jet, and his legs and toes were like azure. His nails were whiter than the lily, and his feathers were like burnished gold. With all of his splendor and great looks, Chanticleer is also greatly feared and mightily respected by all. So that is where the inspiration comes from for the Coastal Carolina Chanticleer. God, I love them. And they run this like, they run this like sort of triple option but from the shotgun mm-hmm. i mean it, i mean they are if you are a cbc listener and you are not watching coastal carolina's games you need to be because they are just the most like bullshit uh cbc game or team mm-hmm. i can imagine they're a lot of fun originally my favorite team to watch was app state which they're still a lot of fun to watch but they're just they're getting closer and closer to like pro football style which is not as much fun to watch when you already have to deal with that with georgia football and so i've just really enjoyed all these other random teams. Honorable mention between the hedges, Zamir White had a career day on Saturday, his first game over 100 yards against Kentucky, 136 yards, 5.2 yards per carry and a touchdown. And he is uh, just feeling good. How'd you feel about that performance on his part and nothing else about the game on Saturday? (laughs) Way to really keep it narrow. Well, if you want to hear what I have to say about the game on Saturday, which Uh I'm sure some of you do, you can watch the Battle Hymnal, uh, which is on our Periscope and on Dog Sports Periscope. And you can also check it out on the CBC um, channel, on the podcast channel. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the things we, if not, I I don't want to say criticize because we're trying to criticize individual players. But one of the things we tried to point out in previous episodes that, you know, Zeus, uh, whether it's from a series of injuries or just because he's had some bad, um, you know, some bad luck, his vision has just not been very good. And, and what I was really, what made me really happy is that his vision looked really good in terms of picking cutback lanes. Um, his balance is, is great. I think if he can continue to perform at that level against, and you know, Kentucky is a pretty good defense. Um, it bodes well for UGA because, I don't know that he's going to be the feature back going forward, but I, mm-hmm. al- but I also think like if he can get closer to that, it puts us in a better position, especially with Macintosh having questionable health. 
Yeah, yeah, which is something we'll talk about in a second as well. Uh, dishonorable mentions outside the hedges. You know, the biggest thing I think everyone's talking about, at least in the SEC, is the Missouri and Florida brawl, which was just I'm, I'm lots of feelings on it. Uh, a mess, um, unnecessary. These are all very nice Justin words for me to describe something without having to go too deep into like some real mean words. Do you have any mean or uh, appropriate words that you would like to share on the matter? I mean, I think I uh, I think it was Stephen Godfrey said that on Split Zone Duo, he said that Dan Mullen has X-Pac heat, which is like a term in wrestling for when you normally like people who are in the know in wrestling and i didn't know this because i'm not a wrestling fan but normally people who are in the know in wrestling like when you boo at someone who's a heel it's actually like you uh you giving them you know applause because you're saying like hey you're being good at a heel so you're like, doing a the lot thing of people, you do like like I, I don't know what they're called like smart rubes i think is what he said it was but like people who go to wrestling and know it's all sort of a show they mm-hmm. want to boo the heel more because they're saying like hey you're doing a good job and it's like sort of a ceremonial thing but x x heat x heat is the term for when like i'm not booing you because you're a heel and you're doing a good job i'm booing you because you're just a total asshole mm-hmm. um you're just like I, you're just overexposed and i don't want you anymore and that's that's similar to how i feel about dan mullen i mean i think yeah unequivocally Dan Mullen is a good X's and O's football coach and he's a decent recruiter and he's had a lot of success everywhere he's gone. I mean, if you take Georgia out of the equation, he's had a really, really very successful first few years. Right. So that on the one hand, you got to give him that. But on the other hand, it's just like, I'm not a like sanctity of the game person. And I'm not like a, a die by the shield kind of guy. Like I don't care about, like the dignity of college football at all, which is really clear because anything I talk about doesn't have a lot of dignity to it by the time <laughs> I'm done usually. But I don't understand under what set of circumstances it is safe or logical to, in the middle of a respiratory pandemic, walk out of your out, out of your tunnel to start a fight that involves the rest of your team. Because let's be clear about what Dan Mullen did. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit about the late hit. I don't care about like protecting your guys. Like, I don't care about like, like rules of the game. I don't give a shit about mm-hmm. any of that. You had eighty-five people that you were walking off the field, probably more because you were at home. Mm-hmm. That you were walking off the field, and you turned around and started a fight about something which got them back on the field again in the middle of a respiratory pandemic on the worst weekend that that pandemic has ever had, numbers-wise. Mm-hmm. I just. It's it's goddamn unconscionable to me. Twenty five thousand dollars, and for for them, I, and like, it's hard for me to express. Like, I get it. Dan Mullen is doing the smirky heel thing because he wants people to get pissed off, and I don't want me this to, people to interpret this as me being angry at Dan Mullen. It's just like, oh yeah, he's trolling you. He lives rent, rent free. It's like, no, no, that was a goddamn public health hazard, and I and I and it's it beggars belief to me that the highest paid employee in a state is going to put 85 children, many of them, at risk to, again, I would point out for the fifth time, a goddamn respiratory pandemic. As though it weren't ridiculous enough for this to be play, for us to be playing this game at this point. For those of you that might not be aware of what happened, it was near the end of the first half. Uh, some Florida players got upset about a hard hit. It was a hard late hit. Trask took. 
Um, and then threw some punches, and then um, Mullen took the field. And what he explained to SEC Network was that he was going on the field to get his players off the field, which between the tape that I have seen and all of you have maybe seen as well, and the photos of him being held back by his coaches and law enforcement included, it doesn't really hold up. Um, he also came back out on the field. That's what Nathan was talking about after both teams went to the locker rooms just to rile the crowd back up. Like he went out to it honestly looked exactly like the heel at a wrestling match getting out and being like oh are you not entertained and like you know it was absolutely ridiculous he was fined two and a half million pennies and six players playtime will be affected by the altercation there's two players uh defensive lineman zach carter and linebacker antoine powell from florida that will miss the first half against us and then uh there will be four more players from mizu that will miss uh the first also half the first against half us as well against us because that's their <laughs> yeah. next game yeah because they have a bye I feel week bad. this weekend mizzou has been better than we thought this year and mm-hmm. i do kind of feel bad for them because like that's a real bummer of a way to end mm-hmm. a day um anyway i now that i think i got it out i don't really have a lot of rants like football wise yeah for the this tank's game. pretty empty right yeah um, well it's not just that it's just like oh like kyle trask is good kyle pitts are good is good their defense is like okay to bad i don't really have a lot of anger about any particular player Mm -hmm. or whatever right now i don't know maybe i'm just like i'm 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 a bad i'm i've become an old man (laughs) (laughs) uh dishonorable mention between the hedges if you're not already aware um richard lecount was in an accident over the weekend he was on a dirt bike driving down macon highway actually right around the corner from where my house is when a driver turned left into the gas station there on Macon Highway at the Loop and struck him on the dirt bike. Uh, he is okay so, now. So, where, where was he? He was on Macon Highway going west. Yeah. And they, and like going towards the, like going towards Millage or going yeah. towards Timothy. Lumpkin. Lumpkin and oh, Timothy, yeah. And then someone was, come. someone turned in front of him? Someone turned in front of him. They were turning left into the gas station and they struck him. They didn't see him. So, it's one of those situations oh where this is something, you know, I'm very excited Richard LeCount is okay. Um, He actually, on Monday, was moved from an ICU to a regular room, which is great. It's been reported that he only has bruised ribs, not broken ribs, but he did suffer a concussion, and he'll he'll be out for the foreseeable future while he he heals up. Oh, and and on Twitter, he did just say on November 2nd that all is well. (laughs) That was all he had to say, and I was like, okay, thanks. But I I just wanted to bring this up and, and provide everyone a little bright spot in this moment that whenever I'm ever cut off while I'm driving or somebody has to, like, shoot around me on a road and there's like nothing going on in front of me or you know they just seem to be in a big hurry like that like they have to make their turn before i pass when there's no one behind me situation i always like to think that that person just really really has to shit and that's why they're driving like an asshole (laughs) so yeah next time you're out driving around and someone passes you or cuts you off you know maybe you can give them a little levity because they just really really have to shit and we've all been there yeah i i I have to go up and down 441 every day for work uh, north of Athens. And if you're familiar with that, it is a four-lane highway that is has like pretty regular uh, stoplights, but it has several like turn cut-throughs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like every one of them that I go through, I slow down because that situation turning left in front of oncoming traffic is just like, it only takes you missing once to kill someone. And um, I don't mm-hmm. even have to turn left. I just don't want to kill anybody. <laughs> like, yeah, that's any- it. So yeah, all that to say, just, hey, everybody should pay attention while they're driving. And yeah. don't make any turns or stupid passes that would put anybody else in danger. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's I mean, just and, and I think the biggest thing is that I really feel like 
the, you know, there was a lot of talk about how like they were talking like, you know, the co I think smart and also some of the accounts people were saying like he could have died. And yeah, so absolutely. Um, I really have less to say about whether or not he plays against Florida and more just that, you know, we're very happy that he is, seems like he's going to come through with very little impact on the rest of his life. And even if it yep. means he doesn't play for the rest of the year, but he gets to go to the NFL, I'm, I feel like we should all be happy that that's the case. Absolutely. So those are all of our mentions for the, the, the weekend. Um, if y'all have anything you want to add also, this is a great opportunity for a sort of ask CBC, but if you ever want to uh, kind of give us, give our takes on certain situations that happened over the previous weekend, let us know. And we're happy to talk about it. Let's get into subject, subjective narratives over the previous weekend. One of the subjective narratives going into the Kentucky game was what is our offensive identity? And so I just wanted to bring that back up as a sort of follow-up. Did we figure out our offensive identity, Nathan? <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't like the 4D chest explanations. I do think Mm-mm. that Kirby got up by 7 and then by 14 and decided that he didn't need to do anything else on the day. At that point, that seems to be as close to an identity as we have. And it, it looked pretty similar to the previous week with Stetson Bennett, just kind of not figuring it out. He had some flashes of uh, greatness and, some, of course, some good throws and there were some good catches. But overall, it's just not really the game any of us expected, the two of us included. Um it was one of those things where we said there's a path to this happening, but it it was unlikely, at least in our eyes, and and at least the stat size as well. So uh, that'll be something we're looking at as we go into this weekend as well against a, a much better team, at least offensively. So we'll see what happens. It's kind of like we're, we're flipping this next team. So we played Kentucky, who had a pretty mediocre offense and a fantastic defense, and we flipped that with this Florida team. But uh, next subjective narrative I've seen that was written over the week, uh, it just came out earlier today, is Todd Munkin changing in front of our eyes? And it, it the reason why I brought this up is because it's something you said last week that kind of wanted me to, to throw this in here. The, the article goes in to talk about over the last 10 years, Munkin's offensive identity has clearly favored the pass. Somewhere between 51 and 60% of his plays are always passing plays. Um, and right now, over the past five games, we're only at 42% of passing mm-hmm. plays um with our offensive identity as as much but i wanted to ask you is this more indicative of of kirby and how he is slowly adjusting to this offensive change or is it more about the talent we have at these positions and are we reading too much into these personality numbers i think we're probably reading too much into it i mean and you can hear more about this on the battle hymn mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. sister uh, video product but i i think that it's it's difficult to talk about the defense because the personality number or the offense because the personality numbers tell you one thing and what your eyes will tell you another is that despite the fact that we're only running you know forty two percent of pass plays what pass plays we're running do look much more modern mm-hmm. to me I think this is very indicative of the situation we're in I mean look I, again I think the Stetson Bennett thing has been uh, legislated to death and I don't want to have that argument but if you just take the names off of it and you say a football team with an excellent defense loses their first string quarterback 18 days before the first game. Their second string quarterback doesn't, you know, is hurt or their second string quarterback has a really bad first game. Their third string quarterback is hurt and their fourth stringer is having to start most of the season. It doesn't matter if you are running the like fun and gun, you're probably going to run the ball more in that season. Right. And so I don't know that that really speaks to Kirby smarts interference in the offense. I don't, I don't think he's managing PR expectations particularly well, but I also think, look, Stetson Bennett has done some really good things, but he is what he is at this point, right? And hmm. 
um, he might not lose you many games. He's probably not going to win you many either. And that's totally fine. But you have to, you have to take that as your baseline, right? And just go from there. The next question kind of, it, it lends itself to this first question as well, but it's kind of a, a continuation. It's Kirby Smart clears up Georgia QB situation before Florida. And so Smart yesterday had his uh, weekly Monday Zoom press conference. And one thing that he said, because every single week, every media person that gets a chance is asking him, who's your QB? Why isn't it XYZ? And his, his, his answer today was, uh, or Monday, excuse me, was ultimately we feel like Stetson gives us the best chance to win right now. I wanted to bring up the fact that in past years, especially with Field and Fromm being on the roster, uh, that response was something we heard often, that Fromm was still the best option at that time. And it's something you and I have talked about a lot, too, just that Fromm had the hot hand, Fromm knows the playbook the best, Fromm is the best option right now, and whoever is the best option will continue. But I feel like there's a change, at least in this subjective narrative, I want to hear your take on it, of... Back then, it was Fromm was the most prepared, most skilled player right now. But now, however, does it say more about the talent cap of our backups than it does our current starter? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I yeah, it does make sense. And and I think, look, it is clear that I am pretty certain that if JT Daniels, like I. This is, again, I have no inside information on this. Obviously, at this point, you guys know this. But I am imagining that if JT Daniels could start, he would be starting. I don't think that there's mm-hmm. loyalty to JT Daniels. I don't think this is a from field situation where it's like he has the lower ceiling or the higher ceiling with the lower floor or whatever, however you want to say it. I just honestly don't think that anyone else is ready, right? And yep. so there is a difference, right? Saying he gives us the best chance to win is not saying he's the best quarterback on the roster, Right. It's just saying mm-hmm. right now, this is the best option. Now, I think I, we're going to get a question about managing the QB room later in the SCBC section, I think. But I mean, I, if I, I if I have anything to say about Kirby and quarterbacks, I think, look, obviously, Fields was a miss. And I mm-hmm. think we mishandled how we played Fields in garbage time in 2017. I think we mishandled how we deployed him. I shit. I think that he probably should have like we should have just like DJ Shockley did and let it ride. But I think Kirby's biggest problem this year has nothing to do with fields and has everything to do with communication and PR management. We can get into a lot, a bit more too. We uh, can get into that deeper, yeah. but I, I just don't, I think that Kirby's biggest problem is his self right now. It's not his roster. Like mm-hmm. if he would just be forthright about this is where this team is and had managed, just managed people's information a little bit better. I would feel better about the game. I would feel better about everything. Yeah. Our final headline comes from, I'm not going to say from where, uh, that's something I try to avoid, in fact, because usually if you land in the subjective narratives, it's uh, because it's not the kind of media that we think is good sports media. So the the headline reads, uh, beat up Georgia football team opens as favorite over Florida. And this this article in itself is not bad. It's just it kind of uh, it overlaps in a lot of things people are saying about this Georgia team. A lot of people are saying, oh, Georgia's exposed. Georgia is showing their weakness. Georgia is showing up as this team that we're seeing the Georgia that we we that was always there that we didn't realize. But it just seems like there's a lot more injuries than we even knew about. Um, and I, I want to know, this is going to help us lead into the stats worth highlighting, I think. Just how are these injuries that we're seeing now, now that, you know, LeCount included, um, how are they going to affect our game? What are we going to see differently um, with with folks like LeCount out, Julian Rochester out for the season, Jordan Davis potentially yeah. out, you know, what are we going to see? I, I mean, I I really think this game comes down to, this is weird, but like, 
Florida has not had a great running game this year, and they haven't run that much either. But mm-hmm. they're averaging like only 107 yards per game, I think, is their average. So I really think this game comes down to if Georgia can stop the run or at least not have to worry about the run and put more people in coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know that that's, that's maybe overstating it. I don't know that the game comes down to that, but I think that that's an important part of the game. Um, I think if Florida can run the ball on you at will, you're not going to beat Florida because then they can pass on you at will and it just goes from there. So really, I think that Jordan Davis's absence or presence is like a pretty big deal. Um, You know, I think the other one that I would be really worried about is it seems like Lewis Seen is going to play. And everything I've read is that Chris Smith was pushing him for playing town anyway. So maybe, you know, Chris Smith, Lewis Seen, you're going to obviously take a step down from your senior leader, but that that's a. That's a pretty good safety pairing to, to roll out there against Kyle Pitts. But I think if Lewis Seen can't go and you have to go Chris Smith and then like Mark Webb and then you got to move him around and then maybe you have to put Tyreek Stevenson up in there. I, I really think if Lewis Seen and Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis don't go, I don't love Georgia's chances because, I, you know, Georgia's chances in this game are predicated upon the fact that you think that Georgia can do a good job of tackling in space and limiting yards after catch. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you don't have two safeties that can come into the box and cover a tight end like Kyle Pitts, who is just basically a tight end with a wide receiver's body, he's just a giant slow wide receiver. He's not even he's not even slow. He's just a tight end that has average wide receiver speed. He's excellent, yeah. right? And I, I just I think a full strength Georgia team probably beats this Florida team in an ugly game. Mm-hmm. So that 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 is my concern. Yeah, and what's great is that if we do get through this Florida game unscathed. I feel like the rest of our season is easier than the front half of our season. Not oh, saying it's abs- anything to, uh, undoubtedly. to yeah, 100%. Like we can, we can nurse these injuries back to hundred percent. If we can get through this game unscathed, I think if we lose this game though, we are not in control of our destiny any longer, but that that's me guessing that I haven't actually looked at the numbers. Um, we would have to rely on a few other things happening before we made our way to the SEC. Actually. Yeah. Uh, that means Florida would be in, in first because Texas A&M beat them. So, um, and nobody in the SEC East. So yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anybody else in the SEC East that's necessarily going to take Florida down, uh, but we'll see. Stats worth highlighting? You want to get into it? Let's let's talk about it. Do you want to do your efficiencies, your FEIs and all that? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at FEIs. We'll look at uh, SP, SP Plus, Plus as well. Um, so we will be looking... We'll, we'll probably look a little bit at the Texas A&M game since that is Florida's worst game on the season. It, it was kind of hard to pick out a game that was quote-unquote Florida's worst game. Um, and so I just had to pick their loss. Um, but it just seems like this team has some weird games. Like there was that Ole Miss game that was real weird. Um, and Ole Miss has kind of come out to be not a great team this year, but there were moments where we were thinking like, wow, Ole Miss is really getting it together. But, um, the statistics say otherwise. So, um, hopping right into the FPI efficiencies. This is where Georgia stands and I'll follow up with Florida's FPI as well. But uh, Georgia's ranked fifth overall. Um, Their offense is ranked 26th with a rating of 66.9. Their defense is still third with a rating of 88.7 and special teams is down to 10th. So it's been changing a good bit, especially our offense has been dropping considerably, uh, but the FPI is still changing a whole bunch. And this very small truncated year is 
going to continue making things look really weird, uh, especially with like Michigan last week was in number one, and then they lost triumphantly against Michigan State. So uh, <laughs> they are no. It was a very Michigan loss. A very it was a very dignified triumphant Michigan loss. <laughs> <laughs> they came in with their heads held high and left in much the same way. Um, and Harbaugh said, "I don't know how much longer I have here. Let me count the years in my contract." Um, he will be there till the day he dies, most likely. But the Florida FBI efficiencies, <laughs> uh, they're ranked ninth overall, fourth offensively, 51 defensively, and then ninth in special teams. So right around the same spots other than that offense and defense mismatch. But in a lot of ways, similar to the Kentucky and Georgia mismatch we had last week, just offense and defense being flipped. But tell me what you can tell us uh, with SP Plus, Nathan. Let's... Uh... You know, Georgia and Florida, ironically, because Georgia had such a good, a bad uh, offensive game, Georgia is sixth right now, SB plus, Florida is fifth overall, uh, but they are divided by 0.8 in the overall raw rating of these two teams. Uh, it's very close. Uh, Florida has the fourth ranked offense, 25th ranked defense. Georgia has the 46th ranked offense and first ranked defense. So, and, you know, special teams, Florida is three, Georgia is four. Um, so it is... Statistically, a pretty close game. I, I think your concern, if you're a Georgia fan, your concern if you're a Florida fan is that you know maybe your defense is not quite as good as 25th, right? And maybe mm-hmm. if you're missing a couple of guys at the beginning of the game, and Georgia can just run the ball down your throat and can make it a rock fight, that that puts you in a bad position. If you're Georgia, I think what you got to worry about is like that first rate defense. If it's missing three starters, that's a concern, right? And it's so funny because I, I I have a hard time really taking into account any of Georgia's stats offensively in this game just because of the amount of uncertainty about who's starting and who's not. Uh-huh. I think, or defensively rather, I think that when we can talk about this in a minute, when we get into predictions and over-unders and stuff, I mean, I think the, and things we want to see, I think that Georgia probably has a better offense than it showed against Kentucky. I'm not a 3D chess guy. I don't think there's more to the playbook. I just think that, Georgia played close to the vest against Kentucky because it thought it could win 14 to three and it could. Um, on the other hand, I don't know that this is going to be Georgia's best defensive week. And the problem mm-hmm. is from a 10,000 foot view, when you were looking at this game three weeks ago, what you said is, well, you know, if Georgia can, you know, we've talked before about like how many points does this Georgia need to win to beat this team? That was like a Bud Elliott thing that they talked about at the beginning of the year. Right. And so if going into the last week, before the Kentucky game, I would have probably said like, well, if Georgia gets to 28, you got to feel all right about it, right? If Georgia gets into the 30s, you got to feel great. But now I got I feel like for Georgia to be competitive in this game, they're going to have to get to 30. Uh, and that that is my concern. And I, I mean, do you have any other stats? It's It's hard to really talk about the, it's hard to talk about it stats wise, because if, you know, on the other side, a heuristic that probably helps Georgia is that, and uh, this is something that Graham over at Battle Hymnal talks about a lot, is like, look, it's pretty clear that A, Kirby Smart will do anything, will give up anything to beat Florida. And yep. B, that Kirby Smart is very good against game against Georgia or against uh, Dan Mullen offenses. Mm-hmm. So it's just difficult to figure out. I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time really looking at the stats and being like, yeah, I definitely know what's going to go, ha- what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that, that I've been coming back to as well. It's like, it's hard to predict what, what Florida Gators team will show up 
one and two we're, we're pretty unsure of who is going to be starting defensively for us but if we want to look just a little bit at the texas a&m game it's it's honestly not a great uh indicator of of what sort of florida team we may be getting or what sort of florida team we may see saturday however we do see the things that Texas A&M did right and wrong because they won this game within the last few seconds of the game. They, they scored a field goal and it put them up 41-38. But the things you can kind of see that they're not doing that I can guarantee we will probably do a bit more of at least, even with our defense kind of hobbling to Jacksonville on Saturday, is uh, they only have one sack on the game and two, two tackles for loss, um, three passes deflected, and only three QB hurries. And so... At the very least, I think that's something we'll see more of from this team. I don't think you're going to see like a lot of blitzes or anything wild, but I think you'll see a lot more pressure being put on Kyle Trask to probably run the ball and contain him a bit more. You you want to you want to be able to, to to build off of that. Just getting pressure with three or four, which mm-hmm. again that's going to be hard to do because Jordan Davis is a special player, and I think we we probably don't talk about him enough because he is a very good, very special player. Mm-hmm getting putting putting trask in the dirt i think is is you got to hit him mm-hmm. right because he is a good quarterback and he can run a little bit and he is very accurate downfield and he has a very forgiving target in kyle and kyle pitts so i think you have got to hit him not late not dirty but you've got to put pressure on him and you've got to get in his face and the problem is you know the way that offense works a lot of time he gets the ball out in two or three seconds right what what else do you want to see i have a couple but no hit me with him well, I think, um, and this is, I don't want to spoil Graham Coffey's take on the battle hymnal because I know he's going to talk about this, but, mm-hmm. you know, Florida, like, just, almost half of Florida's offensive yards have come on yards after the catch, and a lot of them have come on broken tackles. Um, Florida has done a very good job of delivering intermediate to short routes and then having Kyle Pitts and Sidarius Coney break tackles. I, you just really got to see sure tackling, and you know, we've Georgia has been a very sure tackling team this year, mm-hmm. um, but you've got to see second stringers do it too, and that's why you have all the depth, right? We said at the beginning of the year Georgia has the best de- defensive depth in the country. I still think that's true. Um, you are going to have to make open field tackles if you want to beat this team. That is just what it is, or Florida. That and, is, if you want to beat Florida. Yeah. So, do you know anything about this team's uh, this Florida team's running defense? Because I think that what we're going to need to see in this game to actually win is have a run game established and that's going to be we're going to be relying on white to do again what he did last week but if we have mcintosh if we have cook we have all the folks that we need to to make the run game happen it might be a bit easier than it was this past weekend so what can you tell us about this run defense well they're not great i mean honestly <laughs> uh they have gotten you know it was sort of the problem i mean the the, the reason that they lost that texas a texas a&m game is that they got carved up by that guy uh, what's his name spiller and Isaiah Spiller, I want to say. I always, Spiller, I, always get his name yeah. wrong. I always get his name wrong because I'm thinking of CJ Spiller. But they got absolutely carved up by Isaiah Spiller. And like right now, I think a lot of the reason why they have a lower-ranked defense is because of their past defense. If you look at their uh, defensive statistics, if you look like defensively, they have some problems in the back seven or whatever, and they've had you know some sort of spotty play from their safeties. But really, the problem is that people are just rushing efficiently on them. Um, and if you have any hope, it's that despite, uh, because Florida had a really bad injury to a very good defensive tackle, they're having to move people around and Britton Cox, UJ transfer is playing inside a lot and he's a great player, but I don't know that he's really playing where you would want him to be playing. Ideally, if you're Florida, I think that he is, um, 
I think, you know, he's a very good pass rusher, but maybe not built to like stop the run, play in and play out in the A gap or whatever. So I, if you're Georgia and you can run the ball, you have a shot at least. And then mm-hmm. I think it just comes down to how many stops you can get. So that's a good place to actually transition to over-unders. Do you have an over-under that may help us uh, continue to paint this picture? Over under 107 you, uh, you, Florida rushing yards. 107 is their is their average on the year. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know that our rushing defense looks a bit worse after that Alabama game, uh, but this is still the same Georgia team. I do. I am curious about what it's going to look like after this game. You know, just with the defensive uh, adjustments and everything, and and what we're going to see differently. Are we going to be working contain on the corners? Or are we going to be really putting pressure up front and keeping the run game um, isolated, or what? So, I think um, we may have to see if Florida has a chance, and if the they're going to continue this kind of like shoot off um, thing they do. I think it's going to be a shoot off on the ground, so to speak. So I'm going to say over. Uh, what? Well, give me one. I am gonna say. I am gonna. I'm gonna say under. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has less to do. I just think Florida's gonna throw the ball a lot in this game. I think that yeah. they have enough weapons that they think they can throw on anyone, and they might be right. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely possible. Um, my first over under, but actually two of my three over unders, I believe, have to do with uh, our QB situation, just because that seems to be what most people want to talk about right now. Uh, but the first one is over under Stetson Bennett, one and a half interceptions, just because he's he's not doing too hot in that field, and I I want to see whether or not Florida is going to capitalize on that issue. One point five interceptions. Oh gosh, I I hate. I'm gonna say under. I think he probably has one and then a fumble. Yeah. I, um. I think he has given he has coughed the ball up on the ground way too much, and I think the bigger problem is probably going to be fumbles when he scrambles out. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say under as well, just because I think that we're going to throw a lot more. We're going to see a lower passing game like we did last week. Um, just trying to establish that that run game, but I mean we could see a passing game later in uh, later into it if we do establish a run game. So we'll see. What else you got? All right, over under seventy one. Kyle Pitts receiving yards. This is his average. <laughs> Real? That's his average. Yeah. Jeez, this guy's a monster. He has um, 535 on the year. Oh, um, that seems good. <laughs> um, I think I'm gonna have to say, I think I'm gonna say under just because I feel like our defensive scheme kind of lends itself to containing tight ends unless they're in a slot position. But I don't know what Kyle Pitts does as far as you know if he's ever lined up in a different position or what. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say under. I think he's probably going to have a bad, a, a good. I think he's probably going to have a pretty good game. I'm going to say real over. good time. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's hard to replace Richard LeCount, and Richard LeCount has not always been the surest tackler, but he generally will get in the right place and he can hit hard. Yeah. I hate when we we predict games and work through games that we're like just not feeling 100 percent about. <laughs> I hate these coin these coin flip games, but over under Georgia one and a half passing touchdowns. Are we going to get uh, some running, or are we going to get some oh, passing God. going on? This is the most depressing one. It is, but it depends if Pickens feels good and if Landers returns, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say over. I think we're gonna throw the ball more. I actually think that we'll have a pretty decent showing on offense in this game, and we'll feel Mm -hmm. better about it. But I just, I think that in the past we've been sort of guilty of tricking ourselves when it comes to Georgia football and being like, well, maybe this will work out. And it's like, I don't know, man. I just, it's hard for me. I have a hard time thinking about. I, I don't know. I just have a hard time imagining that all of these defensive uh, absences won't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think it's going to have to be a passing day. And I hope that Stetson comes prepared. I hope that that's what he's been working on. Do you want to make some pr- predictions? <clears throat> no, and also yes. <laughs> you and me uh, both, son. Georgia is favored right now by three and a half points. The over-under is, is somehow 53 and a half. <laughs> Dude, that, Georgia was up like six at the beginning of the week. And like, if yeah. I were not a Georgia fan, I would have windmill slammed that, man. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, Georgia might win this game, but they ain't winning by six. Or And look, if I have to come on here and eat crow about how we beat that ass next week, like, <laughs> I'll be the first one to do it, but I, yeah, I think there is a path to Georgia winning this game. There mm-hmm. is. I don't. I'm not saying they can't win it. I think it's going to be a, a one touchdown game. It is what it feels like to me. Um, but I just don't. It's just hard for me to see it, dude. It's tough. It's really tough. Um, and I, I do think I I have a hard time imagining and painting the my my own mental picture of georgia hanging with florida in the way that other teams have had to hang with florida and so i do think we're going to have to rely on our defense which is a questionable situation at best right now but when we've had to rely on our defense in questionable situations in the past i feel like we have really kind of risen to the occasion and surprised everyone and sometimes we have situations where these guys kind of have a day and we're like who's that guy and maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have another one of those this weekend. And Kirby Smart keeps Dan Mullen's number, and we make him look like the huge jackass that he actually is. But all that being said, I think my number is probably like a UGA 27, Florida 24. Yeah. I'm I From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> I think we're going to have a pretty good game plan against, against these guys. And I, I do think that Kirby Smart has done very well against Mullen. So I don't think they're going to score like 40 on us or something. I, I, I don't, but I do feel like this is like a God, I can't believe I'm about to say these words. Like, I think it's, this feels like Florida 31 UGA 24 to me, man. Okay. I just, I just don't know. If, if LeCount and Davis were in, I would feel pretty confident that we would win. I what really if we would. have one but of them? Just, what if Davis does come? If Davis comes like, you know, that changes things, but I don't know, man. I, I just, like, I'm going to probably help Graham write a post about, like, why Georgia can win. And, and I and I really do think Georgia can. Um, and I don't think that Florida's defense is as good. It's very good. But I just, because of the way Scorda, Florida, Scorda, Jesus, because <laughs> of the way Florida can score the ball, I don't know that, like, if you have one or two picks from Stetson, you might be toast. Yeah, we might not be in a great situation just because they can move the ball as well as they can. So it'll be an interesting weekend, to say the very least, but I hope we get through it. So let's get into a more positive segment, our Ask CBC segment. If you want to see your questions answered on the show, just make sure you get them, get them to us before Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, whatever. Uh, hashtag Ask CBC on Twitter, uh, through Gmail, Facebook, Pigeon, Smoke Signal. Or on our Discord server for just $1 a month. The very first question comes from Ian Boatman. Ian says, I think I'm ready to admit that my honeymoon phase is over. In spite of COVID, questions of JT's health, etc., is it time for me to criticize Kirby's handling of QBs? I Yes. I think it was time in 2017, honestly. I think after yeah. Fields transferred, he's been fair game. I mean, I, I think Kirby's problem right now, we talked about this on the Battle Hymnal, is that he just, his insistence on being either flippant or dismissive of the media while it plays well against the, in the fan base probably is becoming a problem. 
And mm-hmm. I know that he's a good communicator, but he is not acting like a good communicator in the media. And I don't know that he's really winning that many games by being so secret. Who is more of a head case, Dan Mullen or Jim McElwain? <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> Different head cases, I feel. But yeah, both I mean, narcissists? Probably, yeah, I mean, you got to probably say, like, McElwain at this point has been humbled by getting fired. So probably it's it's got to be Mullen. Mm-hmm. He's still on the high horse. Uh, and very last question. Yeah. I'm still not convinced. Does Nathan hate Florida? How much? Yeah, I mean, a lot. I, but <laughs> th- it's funny. Like, whenever people talk about my hate of Florida, I like I have, I have, I know people that I like and respect that are Florida fans. You know, so it's not like I mean, my dad's a sort of closet Florida fan. So it's not like I hate people who are Florida fans. I just hate the institution and the football team collectively, mm-hmm. right? Um, I already had my Florida rant. You can't get me off on another one. I don't. Yeah, it's I, true. There's I not used much all left that in the energy. Tank. It was a good one too. Disney Dog asks: Are these defensive injuries we see correlated to bad form, or is it just regular wear and tear we see from getting constantly hit? It's probably just wear and tear. I mean, I didn't yeah. really see. I mean, like, I think one of them was somebody getting rolled up on. Like, I mean, LeCount got on a, in a freaking motorcycle accident. Like, I don't know. I think UGA has actually done pretty good with soft tissue issue uh, injuries since. Uh, Soft um, tissue Kirby issues. Smart came, That's a good st- band name. Soft tissue injuries. That is a good band name. Um, and I know Ron Corson does a really good job of preparing everybody. So I, I think it's probably just, you know, this, that was a rock fight of a game against Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, I think that people could write like dissertations or, or do case studies just on the difference between this year and the way it's affected players physically and mentally as opposed to a normal year. Like playing an entire SEC season cannot be easy. Uh, even just five games of it, back to back to back to back, uh, especially considering our strength of schedule. So I think it's definitely a wear and tear issue, though not regular necessarily, uh, like an above average wear and tear. Like you're you're taking, this is like highway miles to, you know, city miles. <laughs> right. Abby asks, how do we fully maximize our hate week for Florida now that we don't have a bye week of hate? I, I don't even know. I mean, and I, what I do don't we think do? you can get... You can't get to the same level. I think you have to really try to ramp up on Saturday. You got to mm-hmm. try to like, you got to really just have a good day Saturday because you don't have time to like get up there. You don't have a running start. You got to like do it at a sprint. I think it's the <laughs> only way. Uh, Jay Anderson asks, can you come up with a sufficient reasoning to explain why Dwan Mathis is apparently good enough to start game one, but not good enough to hand off the ball 50 times and throw two picks today? Uh, no. no. I mean, no. <sighs> It's it's hard, man. I, you know, he's probably not having great practices, but then still, I can't tell you that because you feel like if you want to just 1985 this offense, which I think there's like an argument that you should, and just run a bunch of random creative like veer inside veer outside veer like option stuff, pitch option, all that crap, then like, and you're gonna throw it 15 times a game, then definitely Dewan Mathis is the guy. Like Dewan Mathis can run it. Like he is he is a good runner as a quarterback, but I, I suspect the reason that Stetson Bennett is still, um, the starter is that that's not the plan. Right. So the frustration to me is like, if we go out there against Florida and we try to just throw it 12 times, then it's going to be like, what the hell are we doing here? Follow up on the QBs. Is it time to revisit the idea that Jamie Newman left because of competition and explore the idea that maybe he didn't want to tether his hopes, his draft hopes on this offense. This, I don't feel as confident about though, as your previous answer. (sighs) I don't know, man. I, I think that there's a lot of reasons Jamie Newman left, and I don't think we're going to ever know all of them. There has been apparently something said about 
some yeah i mean that's not money exchanging like, hands but it's not i'm not trying to be cryptic with that i just think that like everybody's decision is incredibly complicated yeah. and unless it was just straight up he got caught by a booster then you know he got caught taking money from an agent then i doubt that it's very clear cut now it might be that but i don't you know i also have heard that but i don't mm-hmm. know i have no way of knowing if that's true yeah we'll never know perhaps UGA Nihilist Devotee, which is probably my favorite new name uh, coming out of the Discord. How excited are you to have two more years of Stetson Bennett starting since Kirby is so happy with our QB play? <laughs> I'm, I don't, this is again, this is the problem with what he has going on. Like he, if he just said, we are happy with what he's doing, he's giving us a chance to win. That would be fine. But when he gets yeah. so combative, it makes it sound like he wants to start Stetson for the rest of the year. And it's like, I don't think... I, I just it's I, tough. I, I have a hard time believing Stetson Bennett starts game one next year. I just think that Kirby's not communicating very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Hancher, actually, from the Battle Hymnal. Which program needs this win more? That's a really, really freaking good question, man. It is. It's a very difficult question to actually answer. Because it's it's getting to the point now where I think Dan Mullen definitely needs to beat Georgia to not be in a, a hot seat. Um I don't think Kirby's there yet, but it would not look good following the way our games have gone this year, um, for sure. So I'm more inclined to say Dan Mullen and the Florida program needs this win more just for their own, uh, well, they, you know, just, yeah. just self-preservation in general, because I think that they're going to have some mix-ups in the next year or two if he doesn't start winning these games. Yeah, I think at the 10,000-foot level... You, you got to say Florida, but I think in the season, you know, there's rumblings from the UJ fan base right now. And I'm mm-hmm. and again, I want to reemphasize. I said this on the battle hymnal. Kirby smart is not on the hot seat. Kirby smart is not on the hot seat. Kirby smart is not on the hot seat. No. His seat could not be cooler. I cannot say that enough. I'm not saying that if he loses this game, his seat heats up, but I am saying that Georgia has a very good reason to not, the stakes are higher. I think for Georgia inside of the season, because look, I, you're if you're Georgia, you think you probably have a decent chance to at least perform well against Alabama and maybe if not redeem yourself, at least make your fan base feel good uh, to have a shot at the CFP. Right. But mm-hmm. if you don't even go there, like suddenly we're talking all of these problems that we've been talking about that have kind of been on the margins with managing the quarterback room and communication and all that. Those become the headline of the offseason. And it's like, I, again, he's not on the hot seat. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there georgia has more reason to want this game than they even normally do this has been chapel bell curve and if you liked what you heard here today which i don't know why you would but if you did you can find us at chapel bell curve on twitter you can also find me at nathan j lawrence you can find justin at the justin bray if you would like to support us you can hit us up on patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve uh, One dollar a month will give you access to our Discord server, which gives you access to lots of fun things, including making Mad Libs with us, which honestly you shouldn't pay for that. But there are a lot of other good things, stats and graphics and just an awesome community in this hard time. If you would like to yell at us on email, you can hit us up at chapelbillcurve at gmail.com. But fair warning, we check it about as often as most millennials do, which is to say not very often. <laughs> if you, uh, I think that's all we have. Anything else? Yeah. Um, no, we are we're still donating all our, our proceeds this year to the Dogs for Pups campaign, and they have changed their focus to now uh, be food. So going into the holiday season, it's very tough for families that uh, have trouble making ends meet 
to put food on the table, especially in the holidays with all of the pressure uh, to buy gifts and other things that aren't as necessary as things like food and a roof over your head. And so that is where the money is going next. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, you can make a donation yourself to the Athens Community Foundation who holds the Dogs for Pups campaign fund, or uh, you can just become a Discord member uh, yeah. by donating to our Patreon because all that money is headed that way. Absolutely. Well, we will catch you this weekend in the Classic City and Parts Unknown. But until then, go, go dogs. dogs. <laughs>